Looking for your next TV show or movie to binge? Well, buckle up, grab the remote, and settle into your couch for this special edition of Crossing the Streams. We're here to help you tune in and get the most out of those 50 monthly streaming channels you're currently paying for. So without any further ado, here's your host of Crossing the Streams, Jeff Dwoskin. Hey, everybody, it is Jeff Duoskin. Great to be back for another bonus episode. That's right, we're bringing you some of the best curated segments of Crossing the Streams directly into your ears via the Live from Detroit Jeff Duoskin podcast feed. Bonus episodes galore. Every Monday, we serve up an interview. Every Thursday, we serve up TV binge watching suggestions you can't live without. That's right. That's what Crossing the Streams is. It answers the universal question. What should I be watching next? I just finished. Now what should I watch? Well, you've come to the right place because all the answers are here. Every week on the bonus episode, we serve up three amazing segments from the live show. A live show that you can find living on YouTube over 62 hours of Crossing the Streams full hour-long episodes await you. You don't have time for that. Just sit back, enjoy this podcast feed, and we just send it right to your ears. Easy peasy. You can join us live every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, YouTube. Subscribe on our YouTube channel. You get a notification every time we go live. You can engage with us during the show. It's tons of fun. Today's episode, we're pulling from episodes 54, 25, and episode 8, all the way back to episode 8, 60 Days In. Gary Hajij, We Still Secrets, The Story of WikiLeaks. Jam-packed episode awaits you. Let's jump right in with Gary Haji. Ron Lippett loves foreign television and foreign films, and this one does not disappoint. Ron Lippett. Bringing a unique spin to the show, Jerry Haji. Ron Lippett, take it away. Gary Gary Haji is how sure. it's pronounced. Well, however, I well, I think I said it right, but I you mean, know, and and I seem to be on a trend here of picking foreign films that are are subtitled. In this case, uh, half English, half uh, Japanese, uh, with English subtitles. Here, this is actually the first season for the Netflix series Gary Haji, uh, which translates uh, from the Japanese directly into duty and shame. Which, after watching this, uh, eight episodes, uh, hour for each episode, uh, perfect name for the show because everything everything about this story is a war uh, on the moral compass of each character, how far they can be pushed uh, to move outside each of their respective uh, ethical boundaries. Um, this uh, series is directed by uh, uh, Julian Farino, which some of you may remember, uh, directed uh, Entourage. So you know it's good. Uh, actually, there's no there's no humor in this uh, movie uh, in this uh, series, although there are some funny uh, little side anecdotes. But it's it's a police and crime drama. And it's about a character named Kenzo, a Japanese detective, is sent to London to find his younger brother, Yuta. Uh, this dude had been presumed dead, but later we find out he was... Uh, he killed a member of the Yakuza uh, crime family in Japan, fled to London, and becomes a murderer assassin for hire by the local London uh, mob boss. Good story so far. Uh, Kelly McDonald of No Country for Old Men fame. Uh, you guys know Kelly McDonald? She Boardwalk was, Empire, more importantly, and she was in Boardwalk. Yeah, she was. That's right. She was in Boardwalk Empire as well. And train uh, spotting, one and two. 
There you go. Good, good one, Kevin. Thank you. Appreciate that. She's uh, she's the London detective. Kevin's uh, better those, than having IMDb on my browser. I, I, <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you, Kelly, Kelly McDonald. The thing about it, I, I didn't know her real well. I'll just say this: I was shocked to find out that the, her No Country for Old Men character wasn't actually how she spoke. Uh, she actually has a super strong Scottish accent, and uh, and she actually is uh, uh, truly uh, of uh, British uh, descent. So I, I didn't even realize that at the time. But anyway, she's the London detective. Develops friendship with the lead character. Kenzo. Uh, she herself is dealing with a bunch of life issues, uh, which her newly found relationship with uh, Kenzo begins to unravel. There are some great characters strewn across this show, which I think makes the show, which is why it's, I think, I think so interesting. They bring characters into the show that add a ton of color. They're interesting. Um, they are, um, I, I don't think they fall into any of the particular tropes. Uh, there's an actor there named Will Sharp who plays a male prostitute um, that uh, Kenzo, the, the lead character, uses to kind of understand the London uh seen better because he is uh, as I said Japanese the uh, this Kenzo character is played by a gentleman named Takahiro Hira. Uh, you've never heard of him, but he uh, he is if you Google if you Google him if you IMDb him he's been in about friggin' fifteen uh, big big shows and, and plays in, in Japan. So he's the, he's the big star of the show. Uh, he's a really terrific actor. He plays a super dark role, which is on top of a fish out of water story in London. So it's kind of it's a pretty complicated role he's playing, and I think it's worth pointing out uh, there are very few leading roles for Asians in major. Uh, uh, productions in American audiences. I actually read, uh, looked it up because I was interested. According to American American Academy of Motion Pictures, only 3.4 percent of films since 2007 featured an Asian or Pacific Islander, which is a um, which is interesting. Uh, the notable exception of the superstar, who is it? The Rock, Dwayne Johnson mentioned earlier. That's right. Uh, but I I feel like after watching these eight episodes, this guy is absolutely worthy of the role uh, and uh, and the opportunity to star in this Netflix show. And I, I really do hope we see a lot of him in other the productions down the road. His English is perfect. Uh, his Japanese is obviously perfect. He's Japanese. Uh, so he is, he is a very uh, interesting, uh, flexible uh, character. I'll just say this in closing that uh, the show mixes a lot of different styles of production. There's uh, a lot of anime and split screen and letterbox style introduction that they move in to make uh, various points throughout the series. So I, I would say visually, on top of the, the production, on top of the directing and the and the uh, acting, um, the production itself, I think, is, is super interesting. It's an, it's an unusual style. Uh, a production, and I think um, you know Julian Farino uh, did a great job of directing this. So I, I I recommend it highly. It is a weird, interesting show, but I will tell it takes you on a, a really great ride. Uh, and I was re- I felt I felt really pleased um, at the very end of these eight episodes, and uh, looking forward to season two, which I hear is down production. So that is Ron, my series. I recommend it. Ron, I got a question: How many tweed jackets with elbow patches do you own? <laughs> Let's see. Well, with elbow patches, just one actually. But I do have tweet. I do have a bunch of tweet jackets. And how many reviews have you written for Rotten Tomatoes or Yelp? I'm going to guess actually, between three thousand five hundred. Yelp. So check this out, you guys. Actually, this this <laughs> thing got this thing actually got a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes. So. Go figure that, right? I don't know how it did that, but it did. That was one of the reasons. Even Citizen Kane now has ninety nine percent. I know, I know. (laughs) But you know, not everybody can be a what was it? uh, Paddington two. Paddington two. Paddington, yeah. Uh, Toy Story has one hundred percent as well. Fun fact. Yeah, and I still haven't seen Paddington two. Zach, you were effusive about Paddington two, so I, I got, <laughs> it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I got, Paddington I two on has one hundred percent. Yeah, Paddington <laughs> two is now the highest rated Rotten Tomatoes show in history. Good movie. All right, that was Giri Haji from episode twenty five. Ron Lippett taking us through that show. Up next, we're going way back to episode eight with special guest Scott Curtis. 
And Scott's going to tell us all about the TV show, 60 Days In. Take it away, Scott. This is Scott Curtis. Our guest is going to take us. I have to to admit, I know absolutely nothing about this show. It's on A&E. It's called 60 Days In. It claims to, uh, self-proclaims itself to be a groundbreaking real life series. Scott, take it away, my friend. Yeah, I want to preface this by saying that I am not a reality show guy and I'm a a literate person. I read a lot more books than I consume media. But my wife and I were at a point where we just needed to turn off. We needed to watch something that would totally turn our brains off and let us just be entertained by stupid people. And 60 Days In did not disappoint. The premise of the show is we've got these jails that have some problems. So these average Joes off the street volunteer to become inmates so that they can tell you what's wrong with the jail. Now, mm. interesting. a lot of different things happen. So and you get you get surprised by stuff. And the funny thing is, is I know reality shows are rigged and the producers tell you to do this and that. But some of these prisoners they've gotten there, they're not going to tell them to do anything. It's they are acting on their own volition and they are punching people because they want to, not because the producer <laughs> told them to. But you get all these different characters in there. You've got you've got one guy that you would think would be the absolute worst undercover inmate in the world. I mean, he's a he's a very um devout Christian. Um he's got a a a large family. Um, he probably didn't have sex before he met his wife. I mean, just very never, never engaged in fisticuffs in his life. And the guy goes in and he has kind of a rocky start, but he actually wins over a lot of the prisoners because he's bridging the gap between one gang and another gang and just making friends with everybody. So he does an actual fantastic job. On the other hand, you get this guy that says he's a badass. He's a private investigator. He used to be a cop. He's just he's just a tough guy. He goes in and he cannot handle it for two days. They <laughs> He's scared. People are targeting him and he gets put in solitary for, I think, like <laughs> 30 days or something like that. And they finally have to let him go. And it's just it's such a hodgepodge of different people that really surprise you. There's one girl that comes in that is really really um she's very intelligent i think she works in engineering but she um had some family members that went to jail she goes to jail and she's obviously in the the women's section of the prison and uh falls in love with an inmate and pretty much gets to the point where she wants to stay there. She just wants to (laughs) stay there with her inmate lover and be in the jail. Wow. I mean, it's crazy. That's a good one. It's like most marriages. Yeah. Yeah. And all these people that come in bring something different to the table. And there's one guy who is a former Marine that goes in, probably does the most perfect job of anybody. And he makes friends with everybody because there's there's gangs in all the jails. And he makes friends with everybody and all the gangs. Everybody respects him, gets a lot of information. And at the end of his 60 days, they pull him aside and say, we would like for you to stay another 60 days because you got so much good information. And the dumbass takes it. He goes in another 60 days and gets even more information and turns out to be the last guy in that season to be taken out. Just 
really calm, cool, collected. He, he had a couple situations where things could have got really rocky. Like a guy took his uh, tablet. They give you tablets if uh, from the commissary and broke it and put it in his cell. And everybody in the cell block liked him so much. They were going to target this guy. They were going to kill him. <laughs> and, and he was trying to talk him out of it. And finally, you know, because of reality TV, that guy got moved over to a different cell block. Everybody was saved because reality TV. But it's just it's really funny because what you expect out of the people coming in, the the ones that talk the biggest story are usually the ones that don't last. And a lot of them don't last 60 days. Some of them last one day. Some of them last a week and some of them last maybe half the time. Probably three quarters of them don't last the whole time. And then the great part is, is they're all in there together. There's usually three guys and three girls in a cell block together. The drama that goes on between them gets all recapped in the reunion episode where they all fight with each other. So it's just, it is, it's a laugh riot. Um, it's a lot of fun. And it's one of those reality shows where I feel like you are not, the producers can't manipulate it as much as they do other reality shows because you can manipulate the people who are participating, but the folks who are incarcerated, they're going to do what they want to do. And you see a lot of uh, fistfights. You see a lot of people taken to a cell and beaten down and they come out bloody and nasty and really hurt. So again, you know, like it, some marriages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, it's, de it's definitely, <laughs> Scott, what, what are they what are they compensating these people are they, do they talk about that at all what, what they don't talk make? about the compensation but they are they all go on publicity tours after their season they do a um, reunion episode and they then they do an episode where are they now which is i think like you know a, a few months later a lot of them they say that they've got some ptsd and stuff like that because some of the it's amazing because they're different prisons and th these different jails are so much different in the way they treat their prisoners i mean the what the last one i watched and i watched the seasons out of order but the last one they would just throw them a bag of cold sandwich and like a snickers bar and that was your meal morning noon and night whereas other ones you'd get a nice plate of hot food and it, wow. it's it's really amazing how that works out and then uh they also uh expose some pretty bad guards too so <laughs> there's so, guards that are just out there to um really antagonize and uh not be helpful to the prisoners at all the good news is you uh convinced uh casey ryan, casey ryan. plot yeah. right. first, yeah. first, first time at the bat but you also convinced uh jess paul Exactly. All right. Uh, so, and, so Scott, and off camera, you've convinced my friend Susan from Grand Rapids, who's asking me uh, via text, uh, how many hours has been uh, is this show? So, many, I think uh, it's five seasons, and each each okay. season has a minimum of thirteen episodes. Oh wow! Um, and they're wow. all an okay. hour each. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I love, I, love I love how you took down the text Bob instead of just Google it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I it's, am it's like asking for Jeeves. useless information. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was so, totally blown away by this show because I've I've skewed away from reality totally and this one was just really different for me and you know it was it was what I needed when I needed to turn my brain off and, and yet I really got into it. 
it was one of those where I was not looking at my phone. I was not multitasking at all when I watched this because you never know what's going to happen. A&E over the past few years drove tremendous viewership. They had some really good crime-related shows. Live PD mm. was a huge viewership show that I thought was amazing. And uh, unfortunately, they put it on the back burner probably permanently during all the uh, police situation this, mm. this summer. But they had Live Rescue, which was the fire version of that. And the first 48 which is, uh, you know, solving homicides is, is a great show. Yeah. And they're all reality, but you're right, Scott. The reality, but they're not, it's not scripted reality. It's almost like mini documentaries. Mm. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure they're somewhat edited to be a little bit more entertaining, obviously, but it's not people playing a role. It's yeah. uh, just people put into situations. Right. Live PD was great. And I've, I've seen, uh, I've seen it as well. It's, it's a good show. It's, really it's, good it's show. no, it's no to catch a predator, but I mean, no, no, but what good. is, what is. <laughs> All right. 60 days in. Thank you, Scott Curtis. Pond reflection. I don't think I would last like a day. I'd be one of those people that lasted like an hour. Maybe probably wouldn't make it to lunch. Anyway, our final segment for this episode is We Steal Secrets, the story of WikiLeaks. Bob Phillips is going to take us through an amazing deep dive into this documentary. Take it away, Bob. Bob is going to talk about oh, no. We Steal Secrets, the story of WikiLeaks, the incredible true story from Academy Award winner Alex Gibney. This is the true story of WikiLeaks. True story. There, uh, thank you uh, for that segue and for that intro. There could there couldn't be a uh, a, a bigger uh, what's the word dichotomy between uh, shows. This frothy <laughs> little Christmas concoction of Sal's and Sal's, uh, you know, just just bubbly personality, <laughs> and and to delve now to delve into the WikiLeaks. So let's see if I can make this entertaining. Uh, Julian Assange, uh, in the news, uh, again, which is sort of um, apropos, the, uh, the British government has agreed to extradite him to the United States, which is essentially, I'm not going to say a death sentence for him, but for his freedom, because he's screwed. Uh, he's been hiding there for the better, uh, like 10 years, uh, seven of them spent in the Ecuadorian embassy. I can't even imagine what that would be like. You you could never leave. You couldn't even, I don't think he could even walk out on the steps. I think he could open a window, something like that, and wave to people. Uh, Pamela Anderson, a regular visitor there, which was really weird. I don't understand that, but whatever. Julian Assange, when I, when I think of him, and I, and I, and over the last maybe 10 or 12 years since he became this really a newsworthy figure and a guy who dominated the news for several years, I wanted to get this question in my mind answered. Is he this freedom and truth-seeking sentinel, a guy who's, you know, uh, taking all the slings and arrows of uh, all kinds of governments, uh, but particularly the U.S. government, uh, in the uh, in the pursuit, uh, the, excuse me, in the pursuit of truth, when it comes to <clears throat> secrets that the government keeps, uh, particularly during wartime, uh, he rose to prominence, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, uh, by exposing on WikiLeaks some really bad things that were going on in, in Iraq, some things that uh, the U.S. government and particularly the Pentagon didn't want people to know about. And in doing that, uh, now he had, had been doing that for a while in Australia. It's not like he just, you know, hit the world stage 10 years ago. But 
in doing that, he ruffled all kinds of feathers across the world. And when you piss off the Pentagon, uh, you've uh, you really shit the bed. And he was the uh, was the object of derision and scorn for uh, for years from them, particularly after this fellow who uh, later transitioned into a woman, Bradley Manning, who became Chelsea Manning several years ago. Uh, she did a, uh, a, a an enormous data dump on what was going on in Iraq, what was going on with um, some of the um, quote unquote targeted killings of uh, Iraqi, uh, not Iraqis, but uh, let's say Al Qaeda and um, Al Qaeda in Iraq. Some foul ups by the government and the military where civilians were killed and they didn't want us to know about it for obvious reasons. Uh, well, Julian Assange was more than happy to take this information and publicize it. The, and, I, and I started by saying that the the central question I've had about Julian Assange all along is, is he the guy he says he is, which is a lover of truth and freedom, or is he a muckraker? Is he a guy trying to stir the uh, SHIT, as it were, and gain fame? Well, he's he was a, he's a little bit of both in this, and I have a conclusion at the end that I'll share with you. But uh, there's a lot of ins and outs. This guy, you know, WikiLeaks, you you tend to think, okay, this is this is a very big organization to have essentially taken down the Pentagon in a number of areas. But uh, as they explain in this documentary, it's really him. He's just a, a guy from Australia, uh, sort of an uh, an outcast, a guy who never stayed in one town more than a year and never made any friends. He was you know, socially sort of inept. Uh, it was him and his uh, laptop and 10 data sticks and a couple of other nerdy guys that made all this happen. It, it was amazing the impact he had for, in the time that he had. And as you watch this, you would have the, the same question in your head. Is he the guy who he says he is and thinks he is, or is he what the Pentagon and the government and even other people who don't have a vested interest in their secrets coming out call him an irresponsible uh, cowboy journalist who got people killed? Well, here's what I came to. I, after here, uh, re, uh, reading about him for many years and then seeing this documentary, uh, he, there is a moment where, then this sealed it for me, my opinion of him. There is a moment where a reporter asks him, well, what do you think about the fact that you've exposed innocent people, not just American agents, not just people that are protecting uh, Amer American people, CIA, you know, soldiers, all that, all those kinds of people. But what, what do you think about the fact that a particular data dump that you did resulted in several Afghans, Afghanis dying because they were working with U.S. intelligence? And his response was, well, if they were working with the U.S. intelligence, they deserve to die. That's a quote from him. Hmm. And so my opinion of him was sealed in that moment. He is, the, he is the guy that responsible journalists think of him. He is the guy that the Pentagon thinks of him. He is just a, di a different side of the same coin. The Pentagon, you know, I mean, we all know the uh, the collateral damage argument, right? Okay, well, we got this guy, this high-ranking Al-Qaeda official, uh, but uh, 18 civilians were killed. Okay, that's that's the uh, that's the math you do, or that's the math they do. He did his own math, and he said, okay, innocent uh, Afghanis, because they worked with the U.S. government, uh, if they died because of this data dump, they deserved it. So that 
That's it. That's all I need to hear about Julian Assange. Whatever good he said he did, whatever good he supposed he did, and what other supporters he has, he's coming back to the United States. He's going to stand trial, and I hope they find him guilty. When is that his is trial? Me. When is his trial? Well, it's coming soon. He hasn't been brought back here yet, but the British government has agreed to extradite him. And now they're saying he had a stroke in jail. Well, I'd have I'd have a stroke too if I was coming back to the United States after stirring the shit the way he did for the last decade yeah. or so. So, it, uh, you know, you, you, could, you can come to one of many conclusions at the end of this documentary, but that's the one I came to. He is, uh, he is the guy that he uh, seeks to expose. He's just another side of the same coin. I have not seen this documentary, but Alex Gibney did, amongst other documentaries, he did The Inventor, uh, which is on HBO Max, uh, which is about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. That was really a major push towards to towards her going to trial, uh, which is wrapping up right now. He yeah. did uh, he did Going Clear on Scientology, which is a great documentary as that. well. That was great. Yeah, he did Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room, which is a great documentary. So, yeah, uh, I have not seen this, but I love his documentaries. I'll have to check it out. Where Where is this streaming, Bob? It's on Netflix, and it's an excellent documentary. I was telling Jeff earlier that I had to finish up the last 40 minutes or so, and I was I was getting bored with it. But it really heated up in the end, and uh, and it, it puts a nice bow on things. Uh, but it does leave it to you to, to decide how you feel about the guy and uh, his little uh, organization that he had for a while. I mean, they're still around. They're still sort of doing what they did, but no you know, huge announcements <laughs> like they had. All right. That was We Steal Secrets, the story of WikiLeaks. Never say you didn't learn something here on this show. Bob Phillips is a master class at diving into shows. Thank you, Bob. And thank all of you. I can't believe it. we're at the end of another bonus episode. What a great, great episode. We Steal Secrets, the story of WikiLeaks, Giri Haji, 60 Days In. So much fun. You got your homework. Go grab your favorite spot in the couch. Grab the remote. Cross your own streams. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Crossing the Streams. Visit us on YouTube for full episodes and catch us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now turn this off and go watch some TV. And don't forget to tell your family you'll be busy for a while. 